Hey, Pointway Church family and friends. We begin another series. Um, I don't normally do series after series, and but this week just kind of fell into that as I was studying from last week. If you remember, last week we were in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we did a couple weeks, and last week was on God, God-centeredness and being centered on God and our, our focus. And that led me to a, another place in the Bible where God wants to be first, and as I got digging deeper this week, I kind of settled into the book of Malachi. I know that's a big jump in many ways. If you take Solomon's reign all the way through to Malachi, it's a long leap through time. But I'm going to try to take you back to that time. But during Malachi, Malachi is one of our prophets. He's actually the last one that's listed in the Old Testament before we get to Matthew. And Malachi's time is when Nehemiah and Ezra are reestablishing themselves, coming out of the Babylonian experience or the captivity that they've been in and they're rebuilding and they're trying to establish themselves now bear in mind with that that surrounding them and ruling over them are gentile leaders so it's a very unsettling time and there's been changes from the babylonians to the persians uh, soon to be the greeks so things are not very calm in the land Um, i don't know does that sound familiar to you uh in today And there are. There are so many things that are applicable. Uh, Even though they happened back then, they apply to us today. And so that's the backdrop. And and Malachi is sent as a messenger to the people and to the leadership of the time that they need to get back to their focus. Up to this point, they've been focusing on the temple, rebuilding it. That's during Ezra. And then, of course, Nehemiah was building the walls for protection. So it's been a lot of physical work. But they've been lacking in their spiritual work. And things have kind of settled in, but their focus on God has been skewed. And that's where Malachi comes in now to the nation of Israel, now that they're once established, and to encourage them and to rebuke them because there's some things that are going wrong. And remember, Malachi, Malachi is just presenting what God's given him to give to the people. So with all that being said, and each week I'll try to give you a little bit more background. We're going to be in this probably for about three to four weeks. Um, There's four chapters. It's not a long book, but it does have a lot of things that pertain that we can use for today. A lot of good principles. And so today's title of today's message is actually a question. How is your worship? That sounds simple enough. And you could say, well, it's good or bad. But let's look a little bit deeper at that. What does that worship look like? And maybe what is the quality of it? And that's a little tidbit for what's coming up. But let's look at Malachi chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And we'll read for a little bit, and then we'll unpack it from there. It says, An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I've loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish 
They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You see, it is with your own eyes, and you will say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, there's a, a lot in this to unpack, and we're going to work through a little bit of it. Again, this is sort of the background and to what I had mentioned earlier about the time that they were in. But as we know, the author is Malachi, and his name literally means my messenger. And I always think that's uh, ironic that that's his name. And we all know the saying, right? Don't shoot the messenger. Well, a lot of times the messenger, especially in the Old Testament, didn't always have the nicest things to say. In fact, they were pretty strong rebukes. It was a, a hey, watch out, caution. There's, we're headed down the wrong path. Or stop what you're doing because you're doing it wrong. You need to turn. So those are tough messages to give. And sometimes we lose focus on that. And we focus on the person and not on the words. One of those things I always like to use is, is we're better off when we use God's word, right, for correction and reproof. Charlie's opinion doesn't really matter a whole lot, right? God's word is what matters. That's what should change us and what should shape us. And so with that in mind, Malachi here is warning them of what's going on around them. And again, God is the one that's speaking here. And he starts right off in verse 2, and I, I love this. This is a great setting for this. I have loved you, says the Lord. Right? That's a foundational thing. That's a, a thing that you need to kind of grab a hold of as well. And that hasn't changed from the beginning to the end till now forever. God loves you. That's important. God loves you. Now, with that love comes discipline, comes correction, but God loves you. And it's interesting, there's this kind of back and forth, but that's the way of teaching here. It's God going back and forth, and there are questions, and there are hypothetical questions, and there's questions that you may ask when you're wrestling that. And sometimes, even that question of love, right? We sometimes forget that God loves us. or We don't feel loved. We don't feel his presence. We feel unloved. Things may not be going our way. But the constant in that is that God loves us. So that's verse 2, and that's kind of the base. And it's actually the base for the whole book and the base for our, our worship and for our lives is that God loves us. And you could ask the question, which they did here, how, how have you loved us? Right? What have you done for us? And I would say, what have you done for us lately? Right? Again, the, the nation of Israel is struggling here. They've, they've gotten out of the captivity directly. But yet the land they're on is still occupied by Gentiles. They've got their walls. They've got their temple. They've got their place to worship. But they're still not feeling it. They're still struggling. They have some things in place, but they're, they're struggling in their relationship. And so God gives them this little history lesson here. And uh, this next section is up for much debate. And I'm not even going to get into this morning about hating Esau and loving Jacob. Um, and then we also have the nation of Edom in here. And again, Edom is also the descendants of Esau. So I think it's more to do with the surrounding area. And I say it's controversial. It's not really controversial, but it's, it's, it's fun to kind of run down that path, how God can love one and hate the other. And again, that hate's a strong word. But it's more has to do with who God is and his sovereignty. And he knows how things are going to turn out. 
I know the ladies are doing a study in Romans, and this question was actually asked to me a couple times this week, right? Does God already know everything? Are we predestined? Free will, how does that work? That kind of plays into that. But it takes away from the story here. And so back to chapter 1, and there's this back and forth. And God says, you know, you can, in your own strength, basically, you can build a nation. That's what Edom is doing. They're rebuilding, right? They're coming out of the ruins. But it's not the hand of God. And God is, is in essence, working against them. He's not going to help them. And again, for the believer, we can fall into that same trap. We can do things in our own strength. But guess what? If it's not what God wants, it'll come to ruin. may not be right away, but eventually it'll come to ruin. Again, lining ourselves up with God and his will. And so it becomes a work in vain. And that's kind of what God's showing. But when you see that, you also get the, the hope and the encouragement here, this last bit. Great is the Lord, even beyond our borders, right? Sometimes things are out of our control. They're beyond us. We may be doing the right thing, but it may not look that way to the world or to those around us. We may even think that we're being treated unfairly. But when we see God's hand move against those things that are evil, praise God. And that's important. That's praising God as part of our worship, right? Praising God in the good times, bad times, and certainly in the uncertain times. God is that, that base. And so that sets up this next section. And again, I'm sure they were wondering, what does this all mean? Um, you may be wondering this morning, what does this mean, Charlie? Okay, it's great. That was in that history during that time. I see some application. But where... Where are they following short? What's the message for them, right? Those things outside are out of their control, but what is the message for them, and what is the message for us this morning? Verse 6 gives us a hint. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is my respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? All right, we're going to stop right there because there's a lot there. Remember last week I, I talked about fearing the Lord. And this, again, ties right into it. It's amazing how uh, even though we jump time, some things are just that constant and that fearing the Lord. And again, we get a hint of that here. It's talking about honor and respect, right? Just for who God is. Respect him for who he is, that, that reverence, that awe. He's over us. We need to submit to him. That's all part of that and part of that relationship. Again, it's not void of relationship. It's, it's that relationship that gets honed in, gets refined, that closeness, that closeness of family. And so God is worthy of our respect and our honor. He is to be feared as our Heavenly Father. Here's the problem, though. Here was what was going on. And again, he starts out at the top. Malachi goes right to the top of the, the list here, or God does. It says, It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, How have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. This is God going back and forth with the priest now. It says, But you ask, How have you defiled 
by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Interesting verses. And again, at that point in time, again, this is before Christ and before the the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Jews had to bring a sacrifice on a regular basis. And the, the, the deal was, part of that was to bring the best. A lamb without blemish, without any being crippled. It was the best you would bring to be sacrificed. And again, that represented the, your sins and, and you needed that blood offering to be cleansed. And here it is, the priests are allowing animals to be sacrificed that are not all right. They're not pleasing to God. They're, they're not what he commanded them to do. Now, technically, they're doing, they're sacrificing animals. But they're doing it with the wrong heart, with the wrong motive, and they're doing it with the wrong sacrifice. It's a little hard because we don't have that, that practice. So how would I do that today? How would I, I, I put that into the same frame of mind today? How do I take that and say, all right, we don't bring sacrifices, but maybe it's how do we approach God? How do we approach God in our worship? Do we come limping in? Do we come not bringing our best? See the correlation? See how that can fit in today? Right? Do we not give God our best, the first? Yeah, it hits a little bit closer to home, right? And again, there's connections all through that. Again, those were priests. Guess what? Today we, we go directly. We don't need priests. We don't have to go through someone. Our worship goes directly to God. We come to him as individuals and corporately, but that's part of it. But how we do that is important to God. Do we come with the right heart? Do we come with him with our best? See how the scripture does apply if we look at it in a little bit different light? But again, that is all part of worship. And so how we do that is important to God. And he's going to re-emphasize that over and over again. All right, so they've been doing it wrong. They've been bringing the wrong. He says, even, he says, would you even do that to your governor or those over you? you know, if you were having the president over or an official over or even just someone that you really loved and cared about, would you give them peanut butter and jelly or a can of tuna fish, Right? No, we, you, I know many of you ladies, you cook good meals. Um, you make sure the house is in right order. You, you do what's right. And especially culturally, the Jews would kill the fattened calf, right? You give the best to your company. You might even dress a little bit better. And he says, would you do that for, for the lowly governor? How much more we should be doing that for God? So it kind of turns up a little bit more. Again, even logically, it doesn't make sense that they're, they're not giving their best. Verse 9. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. 
Right, so that's part of the conversation. He's like, you want God to be gracious with you? You want God to bless you? Yet, you're not even worshiping correctly. You're not even giving your best. Now, God blesses us beyond our gifts, blesses us beyond our giving. But it still matters to God how our heart is. It matters how we come to him and how we give him praise. Kind of that reoccurring question, right? How is your worship? How's that going these days? Things are not always going the best, but does God deserve our best? Certainly. All right, back to the priest here. Verse 10. Oh, that one of you should shut the temple doors so that you would not light, light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me in my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Stop right there for a moment. What he's literally saying here is if if you're not going to do it right... It would be better that the doors were closed and don't even bother. That's what he's saying. That's pretty harsh because, again, God's commanded his people to worship this way. But if you're going to do it with such a contemptness, with such a wrong heart, wrong motives, wrong attitude, it'd be better just to shut the doors, close it down, and be done. You know what? There have been times in my life, and I'll confess this sadly, that, that I've not worshipped God to the fullest. I've half-hearted done it, kind of gave it lip service. Not done the things that I've needed to do to be in the right spot to worship God fully. Or not giving him all the credit. God says, I don't want that. I deserve better than that. Ouch. Right? God's saying here, I want it done right. I want good and pure worship. Again, he's worthy, right? It says it here. It says, I am the Lord. I'm not pleased if you're not doing it right. You're not giving me the best. Other nations can do it. Other nations worship me, right? Other believers, we would say. Yeah, worship. Worship comes in many forms. I think of one of the, the ways that we see it is in creation, right? The birds sing, the, the sun rises, creation worships God. And how much excitement and how much grandeur and how much beauty, it's all in. But sometimes we forget, we forget that God is sovereign over all that. And he is worthy to be praised. Verse 12, that's not what's going on. And remember, Malachi is just proclaiming what God's saying to them to, to, to wake them up, to change what's going on in their nation. And so back to the priest, verse 12 says, But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, It is defiled, and of its food is contemptible. And you say, What a burden, and you snuff at its contemptuousness, says the Lord Almighty. What's going on here is... Even that part of communion, even part of that that we we celebrate here, we can defile that. And again, what's crept in here is pagan practice. 
things from the outside have started to defile the table. They're starting to do things like the nations around them. Remember, God set them apart. There's a way to do this. And he says, you're defiling it. You're not doing it right. Remember, this is all coming off to, if you're not going to do it right, then you might as well not do it at all. Just close it up. God wants the best. The best from you, the best from me, the best from all of us. It's part of our worship. And there, there's this argument going on, and we see it in the next verses here. And he says, When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who, is accept, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For, my, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. It's an interesting thing here, and the first thing that come, came to my mind when I was reading this is the, the bait and switch, right? Or, you know, that's why they had to create the lemon law, right? You, you look at the outside, but the, the engine of the car is, is faulty. Or, hey, here's a picture of what I'm trying to sell you, but in reality it's not what it seems. We always say even today, if it's too good to be true, then it probably is not true. And here's the thing. God knew the heart. He knew the heart of the priest. He knew the heart of those that were sacrificing. And they were bringing the animal and they were probably most likely lying about and saying, hey, this is my best. This is the best that I can do. But in reality, back out in the field, they knew. They knew in their hearts they had something better. They had a male lamb that, uh, that was perfect, that had no blemishes. It was the best of the herd. And that's what God was requiring from them. It's kind of the same way for us, right? We can, we can come on a Sunday morning or we can say, oh, I just spend a wonderful time worshiping God and uh, great songs and praise. And, but he knows our heart. We can fake it. We can. We can fake it. We can make it look real to other people. But God knows deep down in the recess of our heart, he knows where we're falling short. He knows we're not giving our best. He knows that we're holding back. Can I tell you this morning, that's a sin issue. It affects our worship. God's not pleased with that. And don't forget, God loves us. That doesn't change. He loves us despite us. But he's not pleased with our worship when it's not from the heart. It needs to be real. It needs to be the best. The best that we have to give. Not holding back. What a great application for us. And it's a reminder to take time out. To praise God. To praise him for who he is. Found this quote from Dr. Constable and just want to read to you this morning, let, kind of let that marinate on you a little bit, because it kind of pulls this all together. But it says, anything second rate that we offer God is inappropriate, especially in a view of who he is. This includes our worship, our ministries, our attitudes, our physical objects, anything. The Lord is worthy of our best. And we should give him nothing less. To give him less than our best is to despise him. 
It's a great quote and a great reminder. And I like the fact that, that Dr. Constable kind of pulls in a little bit more. Again, that's all part of our worship, right? And sometimes we, we think it's just about our praising or our singing. And certainly that is part of our worship, but our ministries, our studies, you know, how long have you studied in God's word? And again, it's not length as much as it is. How deep did you go? Did God want you to go a little bit deeper? Do you want you to spend a little more time? Our studies, our physical objects, right? And that could be anything from our, our offerings, our things that we bring to the church, things that we give to God. Do we give them our best? Or do we give them what's left over? Comes up often when we talk about tithing, right? And we set, you know, tithing a tenth, and that's a good place to start. But is God asking more than that? Is that really the minimum? Is that our best? Again, that's some of those physical things. Maybe it's our physical labor. Are we doing it half-heartedly, or are we doing it out of the wrong motives? Or is it our best? really applies to any part of our, our life, part of our worship, should be focused on God and giving him the best. just want to leave you with one more scripture, found in Colossians, as we wrap up this morning's uh, focus on worship and how that worship's going. And Colossians kind of brings it, I think helps us understand a little bit more in today's church. Again, we were in the Old Testament and the temple, and that's a little bit different than our church service, but Colossians kind of brings it forward, right? Paul writes to the church. And here's some of the things that he he says about how our worship should be. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Love those verses, and it's a great benediction kind of bringing us to that close here this morning of do it for God. Do it all for God, but do it with the best. Question I want to ask you this morning, something to think about. Are you being real in your relationship with God? Are you being real with your worship with God? How's that look? You know, in light of our prayer focus, is there there's something out of place? Is something wrong with our relationships that affects our relationship with God? And lastly, are you giving God the best? Only you can answer that question. Are you giving God your best? Are you giving him the praise that he is due? Again, maybe quality. Quality needs to be the best. Maybe it's some more quantity. Maybe we just need to do it longer, better. Something to think about. And may your praise this morning, may your worship be pleasing to God. Thank you for joining us. And just bow with me in a word of prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you for how it speaks to our hearts. Oh, Lord, help us when we fall short and we don't bring you our best. Lord, we do want to please you. 
in our worship. And Lord, you are certainly worthy to be praised. Help us in those areas that we fall short. Reveal those things in our lives that hinder our our praise and our worship. Lord, we thank you as you have blessed us so abundantly and that you have given us much. And Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.